Guys, grab your Bibles, if you will, and open to uh, Job chapter 40. But um, I, I need to say a couple of things. Um, first of all, let me get this one out of the way. This is, um, if you are an employee or a past employee of Federal Express, uh, if you can, uh, it's nothing urgent, it's nothing urgent, but after the service, I'd like to meet with you up here, if you're, whatever role you are at Federal Express, there's something that I, I'd like to discuss with you. Um, if you've got five minutes after the service, if you'd come, just come wait f- until it all thins out, and then let me uh, let me tell you something. I think you'll find it at least interesting. Hey, guys, um, uh, I can't uh, preach without commenting in some way about what's happened in Colorado. Um, there's so much that can be said. I mean, of course, uh, all of the grief and the, the horror of the tragedy for parents and friends and all that. You know, that's, that's all been said. It's all been felt. It's all, and, and I can't add to that. But, you know, guys, uh, we've had a bad summer here in our country. Um, I guess uh, the Joe Paterno thing was quite shocking for many of us. Um, we've got a divided community, a very divided community over the whole education process and this vote that's supposed to take place in all of the municipalities. And now this, this thing um, that erupts in Colorado. And you know, you've heard me say, you've heard me say it several times that uh, Jesus is the hope of the world and, and we sing about that and, and, and you're out there thinking, well that's just a bunch of church talk. Well you know guys, um, the issue in all of these matters is the heart. Something that the media cannot bring itself to say. The issue is the heart. And there's nobody that changes the heart except Jesus Christ. Gun control, you can talk about it until you're blue in the face. Um, the, uh, The scanners that pick up the metal detectors, Buy as many as you want. The issue is the heart, ladies and gentlemen. And, I, and I'm saying to you <laughs> that as a church, what we have to do is redefine, no, not restate who we are. We are after hearts because only Jesus Christ can change those. And he, I say with absolutely no reservation is the hope of the world. So by all your metal detectors you like, until the gospel is preached in all of its beauty and the Holy Spirit saves, don't be surprised when there's more of these and more coaches and more division and more racism and more bitter fights and and more... uh, Just don't be surprised because... The heart's the issue. Um, gang, that's our job. Our job is not to uh, hold each other's hands while we, uh, while we play religious games. It is to announce and declare Jesus saves. Follow now as I read the first 14 verses of uh, Job chapter 40. We're, we're running a little behind today. I'll try to go quickly. Here we go. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, 
Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then, then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God it endures forever. Guys, I don't know how your family chooses to uh, celebrate July the 4th each year. Um, as for me and my house, Susie and I, normally uh, spend the evening of the 4th um, with 50,000 of our closest friends uh, down uh, watching the fireworks display here in Germantown at the Municipal Center. And, uh, you know, every year it's pretty much the same. Um, uh, you... Um, you uh, you are told that it's going to start at 9:10, and pretty much they start at 9:10, right on the right on the button, and then it goes for about 20 minutes. And so the, the, at the at the beginning, you know, they light off three or four at a time, and they shoot them up there, and 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 the, they splash across the night sky, and you know, it's kind of woo with all the uh, configurations and the colors and the sounds and et cetera, et cetera. And then um, and then right before right before the grand finale. There's this brief pause, and I, and I guess it's because everybody's getting in place. And uh, right before the grand finale, they, they all get in place, and all of a sudden, uh, they send up about 25, 35, I don't know how many of these things, all together at once, and you're just overwhelmed with the, uh, with the, uh, the, the, the display and the sound and the, the, the lights and the colors, and, and then it's over. <laughs> and then you... Pick up, yeah, you stand up and pull up your lawn chair and you go home. And you, um, you never really knew how many uh, people were there until you're trying to get out of there <laughs> and go home. Um, well, what I'm saying, what I say that for is because, ladies and gentlemen, these last five chapters of the book of Job is the grand finale. Um, fireworks are, are going off everywhere in in this section in these last five chapters of the book of job um this is a section in which god confronts job uh in in rapid fire succession with about 64 uh rhetorical questions all of these questions designed to to answer job's question but to answer his question by putting him in his place in fact um uh, he says this twice. He said it in, in chapter 40. But he, but he also says it in 38 when, when, when God says, uh, Who is this that darkens counsel by word? Dress for action like a man. Stand up, big boy. You want to chat? 
Then dress for action like a man. Let's talk about this. All of these questions, all of these things that are put to Job, and all these fireworks that are going off in, in these are designed to give him an answer. But the, but the answer is to put Job in his place. There are, there are numerous little emphases in these last five chapters. Uh, for instance, um, in chapter 38, the first 11 verses have to do with creation. You see uh, him mentioning that uh, throughout the first 11 verses of 38. Then, then in uh, 31, the chapter 38, verses 31 and 33, there is this discussion of um, of, astron- of astronomy. Oh, uh, uh, the night star, the, the constellations, astronomy. And uh, then one of the bigger emphases that you get throughout these five chapters is the weather. Um, much of the discourse that you find in here on nature concerns the weather. <laughs> um, can we humans bring about a rainstorm? Well, if we could, I would have brought one in my front yard last night and I failed. Can, uh, can we make sunny skies? Um, can we, can we direct lightning bolts? Of course not. Even in, in all of our scientific sophistication, we still cannot control the weather. Guys, I just got back from Iowa. Uh, I spent four days in Iowa this week at a little conference that I was uh, speaking at. And, and um, this section of Iowa, I guess all of Iowa, but this section of Iowa is, is locked in a very gripping drought. And every conversation that you're in is about the weather. And uh, it, these sweet men, some of them are about to lose their farms. But we all understood that there's nothing we can do about the weather. You know, um, insurance companies refer to um, disasters as acts of God. But um, is not sunshine also an act of God? Is uh, is dew any less a miracle than is lightning? You know, Mark Twain once said, everybody talks about the weather, but nobody ever does anything about it. Why, why is there so much talk about the weather? Could it, could it be, could it possibly be that an awareness... Of the weather is the is the closest that many of us will get to some kind of spiritual conversation. Uh, is it is it really some kind of spiritual shorthand that is um, a, a way of talking about God without the embarrassment of having to mention Him by name? D- does anything show us? Um, how little control we actually have. Then does the weather. Is there, is there anything that shows us how helpless we are better than does the weather? You don't believe that. Just take a quick trip to Iowa. You know, pagan religions, they, they view weather as a, as a cause rather than an effect. And so they, 
So they give names to the God of the snow and the God of the east wind and the God of the dawn. And um, at least they, they have a healthy sense of, of the force behind the elements as, as being a who instead of a what. You know, Jesus was uh, a bit of a weatherman himself. He talked about the weather in, in uh, Luke chapter 12. And his point was, uh, you guys don't predict it very well. Then we come to chapter 29, and the subject, the emphasis changes. We've seen an emphasis about creation, one about uh, astronomy, we've seen one about uh, the weather. And then we come to chapter 39, and, and the, 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 the emphasis changes. It's almost like you get a divine lesson on zoology. There are eight animals listed or mentioned in chapter 39. There's a hawk, there's a horse, there's an ostrich, there's a, there's a donkey. The, my, the, the donkey is my favorite. In, in chapter 39, um, verses, um, yeah, uh, the, the wild donkey, verse 5, goes free. And, and it says in verse 7, he scorns the tumult of the city and hears not the shouts of the drivers. You know, uh, he's oblivious to all the... The, the, the hustle and the bustle that exists in the city, uh, uh, this human commerce, he's not interested at all. And interestingly, at least it was for me, it's this animal, this donkey, who's known for his stubbornness. <laughs> Just about the most stubborn of all creatures, creatures except for, of course, fallen man. It's that stubborn animal that Jesus chooses to ride in Jerusalem on the on Palm Sunday. Remember, it was a it was a donkey colt uh, on which no one had ever ridden. It was an un, unbroken donkey, and yet when his creator shows up, <laughs> this this animal that is known for its stubbornness, its obstinacy, yields a willing obedience. You know, G.K. Chesterton wrote a poem about that donkey. You know, guys, um, I, I, I guess I got to stop. I, I, I could go on for some time extolling the, uh, the the marvels that are on display here of the God and of God and weather and and in zoology. But uh, if 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 I only did that, it would really miss the point of this section. Gang, th- this section is not not given to us to entertain us or or titillate us intellectually. In crude terms, this section was designed to put Job and you and me in our place. And it works. Look what Job said in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 40. Behold, I'm a nobody. I got no answers for you. I'm putting my hand over my mouth. I spoke, but I'm not speaking anymore. That, that's up here, phrase. You know, um, you might know that of all the wonderful themes that are in this section of the book, that I would choose something having to do with one's mouth. You know, maybe maybe it's because um, because I use my mouth so much, and often when I do use it, I use it poorly.
But ladies and gentlemen, there is something far bigger than how poorly I use my mouth in this section. Job's response here is just the first of many responses just like this. There there are numerous responses just like this in 40 verses 4 and 5. Or not just like it, but very similar to Job's throughout the scriptures. I guess the most memorable one is in Isaiah 6. And if you've never seen Isaiah 6, it's time to see it. If you've never seen what happens to Isaiah when... um, Uh, It's in Isaiah chapter 6, and we're told in verse 1, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, and all these angels are flying around him, and the angels are singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, verse 6, verse 5, Woe is me, for I'm lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You know, it's interesting that in both the inst- uh, uh, Job chapter 40 and in Isaiah chapter 6, one of the first things that pops into the mind of those who have been convicted of their sin is their mouth. Whereas prior to this in Job, Job was all mouth. Now he's all ears. And I suggest to you, my friends, that it's a place to which we must all get. And yet it is a place to which we resist going. You see, we want a chance to explain ourselves, to to defend ourselves to tell all of the extenuating circumstances that that might somehow help explain our behavior. Um, We we know that we've done some bad things, but there's there's some reasons why we did those bad things. (laughs) I mean, um, I'm quick to... um, to, to blame anybody that's around for the bad in me, but, but I'm, I'm also pretty quick to take credit for whatever good there might exist. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know that I've done some bad things. But there's some reasons. And, and, and I want to tell you about them. You know, guys, those aren't the only two men in the Bible that, that, that have this kind of experience. Uh, Job is one. Isaiah is one. There's a couple in the New Testament. Uh, some of Jesus' best friends, Peter. You remember that story in Luke chapter 5 when they went out on this little fishing expedition? And uh, Jesus says, let's go out fishing, Peter. And Peter says, listen, Jesus, I've been fishing all night, you know, and, and I hadn't caught anything. But because, you know, I, I kind of think you're, you, you're, you're a good guy, I'll, I'll, I'll push out. And so he, he pushes his boat out and they make this big, huge catch of fish. And as a result of this big, huge catch of fish, this is what Peter should have said. He should have said, hey, Jesus... You need to stick around so that you and I can go into business together. I can see it now. Peter and Jesus fisheries. But that's not what Peter said. Here's what Peter said. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. 
You know, when you finally get some kind of real and accurate view of who he is, it shuts you up. It strips you from all your self-righteousness and it leaves you overwhelmed with the feeling of your own smallness. Job says, I am of small account. You bet you are, Job. The, the nearer you get to some kind of real understanding of who God is, the more we know our sin. And we're, we're emptied of all those foolish views of ourselves. And then finally, finally, we shut up. There's one more. Um, it's in the book of Revelation when John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Jesus shows up to, to pay him a visit. And in verse 17, it says, when I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet as a dead man. John, the man who had been Jesus' best friend on this earth, fell at his feet as a dead man. No, no, Peter and John don't mention their mouths. They don't have to. Because they're, they're feeling the same thing that Job and Isaiah felt. And the thing that is common in all of these instances, all four of them, is that these four men God showed up and put them in their place. Has God ever done that to you? I'm not saying has God ever given you a course on zoology or astronomy. I'm asking you, have you ever been traumatized by his holiness? Which is the one thing that's in common in all four of these stories. Again, if I can ask it a different way and, and, and certainly more crudely. Has God ever shut you up? The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 319 makes a statement about the preaching of the gospel and that one of the results is to be that every mouth is stopped. Has God ever shut you up? Unless you conclude that he's irritated over our being talkative, that's not the point. Has your sin ever so impacted you in the light of his holiness that you called a halt to, to, any, to any attempt to justify yourself? Have you ever realized... Have you ever realized that there's no more to say 
And unless God sees fit to move toward me, I have no right, nor do I have any ability to move towards him, and we will remain forever estranged. Has your mouth ever been stopped? If it has, then at that point the gospel becomes really beautiful to you. And it's a gospel, by the way, that very interestingly is predicted in chapter 40, verse 8 of the book of Job. You find these words on the second half of verse 8. It's another question, and God says, Will you condemn me that you may be, may, may be in the right? Gang, you see, part of Job's suffering was found in the fact that he longed for vindication in a situation that, that he viewed as very unjust. He longed to meet with God and get things straightened out. In fact, in chapter 31, verse 6, he asks for honest scales. Because you see, at that point, back in chapter 31, he's still yapping. And then God shows up. And God is doing all the talking. And one of the things that God asks in verse 8 is that, must I be condemned so that you can be justified? The New Testament answers that question. And the New Testament says that the answer is yes. That Job is vindicated because God in Christ was condemned. That God was condemned in my place. We sing a song about, in my place condemned he stood. Must I be condemned so that you can be right? Says God. Yes. I was saved by a man who suffered and didn't deserve it. An innocent sufferer. I was saved by, by a God who did the very thing that I find so hard. He humbled himself. I tell you a story that I found in a book. Um, it's a farcical story, but I think it does. It's kind of a silly story, but it does uh, make my point or illustrate my point. It's a, it's a story about a young man by the name of Walter. Um, and Walter uh, wanted a job, and he interviewed at this company that was the, the largest corporation in the world. And he was just dying to get this job with this, this company. And, and so he interviewed with the man, and, and the man was impressed with him. And he told him, he said, well, we're going we're gonna to offer you a job, Walter, but you're going to have to start at the bottom. You've got to start at the bottom. You've got to work yourself up. If you, if you want a job here, and he said, that's fine, I don't care, I just want to work for this company. So they gave him a, a job in the mailroom. It was kind of a dark and dingy place and, and, and kind of a depressing environment, but, but Walter liked his job, and, and, but he often daydreamed about maybe one day that he would be an executive in the company, and maybe, maybe even the president, maybe even the chairman of the board. 
So one day when he was um, he was sorting the mail, he noticed off in the corner a cockroach. And so he went over to the corner to, to, to step on the cockroach. And as, as he was about to step on it, he heard this tiny little voice saying, Don't kill me. I'm Milton the cockroach. And if you spare me, I'll grant you all your wishes. Well, Walter agreed that was a pretty good idea, and so he spared the life of the of the cockroach. And so Walter's first wish was to leave the mailroom and to become a vice president. Sure enough, Walter was a vice president. And and not only that, Milton granted him not only that wish, but all of his wishes, and to the to the point that that Walter very soon was the chairman of the board, and he had a corner office on the top floor of the of the tallest building in the world and the largest corporation in the world. He was the most important, he was the most powerful man in, in, in all of the world. And everybody reported to Walter. Everybody looked up to Walter. Uh, and, and Walter was having a great time. And um, he, would, he would often look in the mirror and say, I'm Walter. And, and I'm, I'm at the top. No one is bigger or more important than me. And then one day when he was in his corner office, he heard footsteps on the roof of, of this building... And so he went out to find out what, who was up there, and he found a little small boy praying. And so he went over to the boy, and he said, um, Son, are you, are you praying to Walter? Because, you know, I am the most important person in the whole wide world. And the little boy said, No, no, I'm praying to God. And that was very upsetting to Walter. So Walter went back into his office, and he called for Milton the cockroach, and he said, Milton, I got one, I got one more wish. I want to be like God. So Milton said, fine. And the next day, Walter was back in the mailroom. Ladies and gentlemen, I was saved by one who left his corner office in glory. And he came to the mailroom. And was condemned. So that I could be justified. Is that Savior your Savior? He is a beautiful one indeed. Our Father, I do pray that you will make uh, very clear what your word has to say and, and in any way that I have mangled or mishandled this text, that you will um, stop up the ears of those who listen. But Lord, there has to be a time when we finally see who you are that our mouths are stopped. And that we quit trying to save ourselves with our own righteousness. And that we come to terms with the only Savior there is, Jesus Christ. Father, if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met that Savior, would you open their eyes to see what Jesus Christ has done. Condemned, even, 
so that we who are guilty might be made right with you. Make that very clear to every listener. We ask it in Jesus' name.